Turn to John chapter 4. Give the worship team. Man, they did awesome today, didn't they? Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 4. Last week, I uh, entitled the message, What's in Your Harvest? Because um, I was thinking of that commercial. I said, what's in your wallet? Um, So we're going through the series of Harvest. And so... The question is, last week, what, what's in your harvest? But today, the title of the message is, Who's in your harvest? Who's in your harvest? Okay, everybody got John chapter 4? And I'm reading it from the New Living, so it's a little bit easier to understand if you don't have your Bible with you. And if you don't have your Bible with you, oh, we give Bibles. Okay, John chapter 4, and it reads like this. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir... You don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and the sons and the animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Jump down to verse 25. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me 
and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work. And now you will get to gather the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman said, he told me everything I did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two more days long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Go ahead and have a seat. I know that was a lot of scripture to read, but I wanted you to really understand the story of this Samaritan woman because it's a very important story that has to do with harvest. Now, when you deal with people, it doesn't take very long to realize that people are different. Anybody ever realize that we're all different? Because people are different, we all can see the same thing and we all see it in a different way. You know who knows this? The police. The police know this really well. In fact, they even expect it. Because one of the ways that police know whether people are lying or not is if their stories match too well. When they have two people together, what's the first thing they do? They separate you. They take one to one room and they take one to another room and they say, okay, tell me what happened. And if their stories match up too good, then they know they're lying. They're lying because that means that they had time to sit down and, tr and figure out a good story. Okay, let's tell them this. You ever do that when you were a kid to your parents? Okay, this is the story. I know I did. I did that with my brother. We would both go out at night and then we'd, we'd go to one place and we'd say, okay, we're going to meet here at this time and this is what's gonna, what we're going to say. And then he would go his way and I would go my way and... Then we'd meet up together. When we got home, we had the same story. Come on, you guys. You know you guys did the same thing. And it's the same way with the Gospels. Every disciple, every apostle, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they each wrote the Gospel, but they seen it from all different perspectives. They were all the same, but they were all told differently. And sometimes we see things different from our friends and from our family and from our coworkers. We just see things differently. Different perspectives are a good thing because you see things your way, I see things my way. And sometimes we differ, but we always have to see things the way that Jesus saw them. And that's the passage of scripture today. It shows us a perfect example of two people seeing the exact same thing, but they see it totally different. Jesus brought his disciples to a town, a Samaritan town called Sychar. And he brought them there because he knew that he had an appointment with a woman at the well. 
And the appointment was meant for just Jesus and her, a one-on-one encounter. And the verse tells us that when he got into town, he sat up by the well and the disciples took off and they went to go buy some food. They had been traveling a long way and they probably hadn't eaten and it was probably late and so they were hungry. And it only makes sense to go go buy some food. So they were out in the town buying food where Jesus was evangelizing this woman. And he's telling her about the good news of who he is. He is bringing her to the point where he's telling her there is new life available. And he showed her her sin and he also showed her the Savior. And as soon as Jesus revealed that he was the Christ, he said, I am the Messiah. As soon as he did that, as soon as he told her, I'm the one you're looking for, then guess who shows up? The disciples. They came back from their shopping trip. They came back from buying food, and they showed up right at that moment when Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Now, What's really interesting about this particular portion of scripture is that the disciples heard Jesus reveal the fact that he is the Christ. They heard him. He is the Messiah that the Jews and the Samaritans had been waiting for. They heard him say out of his mouth, I am the Messiah. But what were they amazed at? What were they talking about? The Bible says that they were talking about Jesus talking to a woman. They they heard that he was the Messiah. They heard that he was the Christ. But then when they're getting in, he's talking to a woman. He's talking to a, a Samaritan. They heard something, but they didn't pay attention to that because they were looking by what they saw. They were seeing things from their perspective. They saw this woman get up, leave her pot there, and tell everybody in the town about Jesus. But the disciples were saying, hey, well, you know what? She's going to go into town, tell everybody else, let's do what's important. Let's eat. I'm hungry. Because that's what verse 31 says. That's what they did. They were hungry. This woman had just gotten saved. But she wasn't just a regular woman. This was a tremendously sinful woman. This was an immoral woman. This was a Samaritan woman. And Jesus had just saved someone that they thought he shouldn't even be talking to. They thought she didn't deserve salvation. So it's like, okay, you got salvation, all right, let's go eat. That's all they cared about. They had a completely different perspective than Jesus did. They were focused on completely different things. Jesus was focused on the eternal, but they had a temporary perspective. The disciples were focused on their wants and their needs. What's your perspective this morning? Do you know how you can tell what your perspective is? Listen to your own prayers. That's how you can tell what your perspective is. What do you ask for when you get down to pray? 
Sometimes the majority of our prayers are all about me. All about the temporary. Things that affect this lifetime. Lord, I need a healing for my health. Lord, I need prosperity. Lord, I need this. Lord, I need that. I need comfort. I need a man. I need a woman. I need this. Now, those requests aren't, aren't really bad, but if that's all your prayer is, that's your perspective. Because that's not the only thing we need to pray for. As a matter of fact, those things need to kind of be put to the side because all of those things are temporary. They just reveal where our perspective is. Our, is our perspective focused on the things around us that are only going to last just a little while? Or are they focused on the things that are going to last forever? When you read this passage, it can really sound strange because I've read this passage umpteen times. And, and it almost sounds like Jesus and the disciples are having two different conversations. And you know what? They are. They're having two different, have you ever been with somebody and you're like, you're talking about this and they're talking about that. And you're like, hello. You know, where, where are you at? I, 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 even in, when you're on the phone talking and somebody gets distracted and then they come back in the conversation and you're like, we talked about that three minutes ago. Where are you at? What are you doing? You're, you're not on the same page. And that's exactly what was happening. Jesus is confronting the disciples' perspective. It's as as if he's getting their faces and he's putting, you know, like like a parent would do to a child, putting their hands on their face and saying, look, turn your eyes, look this way. Because you're looking at something that is dumb. You're just looking about feeding your face. You're not looking at what I'm looking at. You're not seeing what I'm seeing. You're not feeling what I'm feeling. He's taking his hands and he's moving their face and he's saying, look, take your eyes off the temporal. Take your eyes off of the things that are going to fade away and put it on the eternal. Because he tells them in verse 35, lift up your eyes. Because you know what they were looking at? They were looking at their food. Have you ever seen anybody be hungry? And they're like, you know, whenever you get together with a group of people and you go out to, let's say, Los Dos, and, and all of a sudden you're talking, talk, talk, as soon as the food comes, <laughs> silence. Because it's all about the food. And, and, and all of a sudden people who were just talking, 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 now it's like, because it's all, that's all they care. They're looking down. The disciples are just like us. They're no different. They couldn't see the eternal needs all around them because they were focused on themselves, on what they were going to eat. And that's why Jesus has to change their perspective. And he can change our perspective this morning. All we have to do is lift up our eyes. Get your eyes off of yourself. Get your eyes off of your finances. Get your eyes off of your house. Get your eyes off of your job. Get your eyes off of you and get them on something else that is going to last a whole lot longer than your car, than your house, than your bank account, than your clothes, than anything else. Jesus tells his disciples, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. Now, I 
can imagine the disciples standing right by the well and, and looking around. I said, all right, I, I, I see the fields. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look over an open land, I describe it as a field. Like, there's a field. But Jesus didn't say field. He says fields. He uses the plural. Lift up your eyes and look to the fields. He's talking about the plural. And he did that for a reason. Because when the disciples looked out, they probably just saw a field full of grain just blowing in the wind. And Jesus said, I want you to see beyond that. I want you to see beyond the field that there are many fields full of people that need to hear the gospel. All kinds of different fields. You have family fields. You have friend fields. You have coworker fields. You have neighbor fields. You have, all of, you have enemy fields. And some of those fields are pretty tough to grow. But have you planted? Some of those fields that we have are a little bit more difficult than others. We've got all these fields all around us. We have Hayward. We have Union City. We have Newark. We have Fremont. We have San Lorenzo, San Leandro. We have Oakland. We have all these fields that are all around us. And what are we doing? We have fields that we're surrounded with that are full of drugs and crime and human trafficking and loss of hope and despair. And the point is, is that Jesus is telling us we need to get our eyes up and look at the fields. Not the fields that are the closest, not the fields that are the easiest, but the fields that he is saying, you need to go there. We should be seeing the fields on our home. We should be seeing the fields on our street, in our city, in our neighborhood, in our county, in our state, in our nation, in the world. Some of us need to just kind of widen our perspective. I know some of you just come on Sunday mornings. I realize that. But I have a responsibility to challenge you to lift up your eyes. You have to lift up your eyes. Not just look at what you have, not just look at your own little world, but you need to lift up your eyes and see that there are people that are dying next door to you, across the street from you, down the block from you. Have you ever seen the news when there's a tragedy that has taken place and the news people go and they interview the neighbors and, and all the neighbors say, gee, they were so quiet. Who would have known that he would have killed his whole family? Gee, he always said hello every day. I don't know why he committed suicide. We hear and we see things all around us. And we just kind of want it like, I don't have to pay attention to that. It doesn't, it doesn't concern me. It does concern you. People are dying all around you. We need to be able to lift up our eyes because those are your fields. Jesus wants you to lift up your eyes and see the fields. He had just spoken to this woman at the well. And then what happened? Right after he spoke to her, right after he told her who he was, she left her pot there. She went with one purpose and she met the Savior, heard the gospel, left her pot there and went back to the city. 
The first thing she did after Jesus saved her was to go tell other people about Jesus. Jesus sowed a gospel seed into her life, and they, she got to see the, the harvest of all of these other people because she went out spreading the gospel. See, when Jesus saves us, when he truly saves us, each one of us becomes a sower. Each one of you who have accepted Christ as your personal Savior, you have a responsibility to sow a seed. There is no other option. Some of you might be saying, oh, but I'm too shy. I, I, I can't do that. I want you to know one thing. There is nowhere in the Bible where I, where I read where it says, if you're shy, you don't have to do this. If you stutter, you don't have to share the gospel. If, 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 if you don't know what to say, it's okay. The word doesn't apply to you. If you get red when you talk, you, you don't have to talk. It's okay. If you've never graduated from high school, oh, no, you really don't have to say anything. And we make up all these excuses of why we can't get out there and share the gospel. We make all these excuses. What are you going to do? Tell Jesus, I I'm shy. He goes, I know, I made you. I know. I made you like that for a reason because I want you to overcome. I want you to get past all your insecurities. I want you to get past all your own stuff. And I want you to begin to sow, sow, sow the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everyone that Jesus saves is a sower of the gospel seed. Now, just like there's all kinds of fields, Jesus saves all kinds of sowers. He, sell, he saves the loud ones, and he saves the quiet ones. He saves some that you cannot get past them. You know, one thing that I will say about Chris is that there is no one safe person that can walk by him without hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He saves all kinds of sowers. How many people walk past you per day and never hear the gospel? How many people do you drive by? How many people, oh, you might have flyers in your purse, you might have flyers in your jacket, but when you're eating, do you go around the restaurant and pass them out? When you're standing outside laughing and people are walking by, do you share with them the gospel of life? Do you ever back up your gospel by saying, come see Jesus. Come see him. Come see Jesus in me. Come see him in my testimony. Come see Jesus in my life. Come see Jesus in my church. Come see Jesus and watch me when I have to deal with bad circumstances. Come see Jesus when I deal with not having enough. See how I act. Then you'll see Jesus. See, you're the sower. Jesus saved you to sow seed. Not just me. Not just the leadership. You. Every single one of you. Even if you only come here on Sunday mornings to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, he saved you to sow. We don't hire people to sow for us. 
We don't hire people to go pass out flyers. Number one, we don't have the money, but number two, we wouldn't do it. Because he saved you to be the sower. You need to live your life planting seeds in your field. Your field is different than my field. I have been planting seeds in my family for going on 39 years. Picked up my, one of my sisters and took her to run for hope. My other sister, and I'm, I've been praying for my family. My other sister texts me this morning, right, right when I was walking into church, she texts me this morning, she says, pray for me, I'm falling apart. I have five sisters. They're all falling apart. But one of them says, pray for me. And, and my prayer was like, you know, Lord, thank you that she knew what to do when her life is falling apart. Does your family know to call you when their life is falling apart? Are you that kind of an example? Have you been planting in fields in your family? Have you been planting in fields where you work, where you go to school? Because when their life is turning upside down, they should be able to turn to somebody and say, oh, I know they got the answer. I know they know what to do. I don't know what to do, but I know they do. You have to live your life planting seeds. Jesus says, look up. Do you know what he wants you to see? He wants you to see that you need to get your eyes off of your bread. Get your eyes off of your stuff. When he was telling the disciples, look up, he wanted them to look up from their sandwiches just like he wants us to look up from our day-to-day -day busyness. He wants us to look up and to see the harvest. There's a cycle and a harvest cycle that he wants us to see. People need to connect. That's life today. Because, you know, as, as I look at, at commercials and I look at the internet, I say, man, people are hungry to connect. They connect through Facebook, through Twitter, through MySpace, through LinkedIn, through clubs, through bars, through eHarmony.com. They, they connect all kinds of ways. Just like we need to connect. People all around us are being beat up by life. That's why we have journey groups for an opportunity for you to connect. And next month, we're going to be starting our journey groups again, and you'll have, you'll have another opportunity to connect because people need to connect. People need hope. We live in a society today that's desperate for good news. People are frustrated. People are tired. People are hopeless. We are to bring hope to the lost. When Jesus was tired, he sat down by the well. And then here comes this woman who is, has been immoral. She's been married five times. And in between those five times, who knows how many other men she'd been with. She's probably outside of the city getting water because she couldn't go to the well inside the city because nobody wanted to talk to her. She had a reputation. The Lord is going to send you people that he wouldn't send other people. He's going to send you women like the woman at the well. 
He's going to send you young men who are lost and trying every drug and trying to find satisfaction. Every day, people who are in need are going to be coming across your path. They may look good on the outside, but they're dying on the inside. When Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman in two sentences, Jesus revealed a sickness in her life. See, her biggest desire was for love and affection and security. And because she needed love and affection and security, that's what caused her to go from man to man to man, looking for something to fill that emptiness inside. And there's a lot of men and women who are doing the same thing today. They're hopping from one relationship and one man and one woman to another to another, hoping this is going to be the one. This is going to be the one. No, this one is going to be the one. Now this woman, I don't know too much about her, but I, I, I have to believe that she was probably beautiful. To get five husbands? She had to have something. She had to have a little bit of charm. She got the attention of six men. All different. She must have been funny. I don't know what kind of jokes they would tell back then. But she was probably the kind of woman that other women don't like. She probably knew a lot of men and a lot of men knew her. But when she came to the well that day, she heard something that transformed her life. She went back into town, and the Bible says she found the men of the town. She didn't go to the women, because the women were not attracted to her. But she went to who she attracted, and she attracted the men, and she said, come meet a man who has told me everything I ever did. Can you imagine the men go, told you everything? No way. Everything? Oh, man, I got to hear this. I want to know what the latest is. Because this woman lived in the same town, and she had been with six different men, that five that she had married and who knows how many others. Just the fact that she said, he told me everything I ever did. This woman's testimony was a point of change for people. She went back to her neighborhood and her neighbors listened to her. Some of you need to go back to your family. You need to go back to your friends. They need to see that you are not the same person. You have a testimony and that testimony can break bondages. That testimony can break skepticism. That testimony can break all of the things that they have heard. Because once, there's a lot of things that people can say, no, that's not for real. But you go, look at me. And they're going to go, well, yeah, but. He said, don't you remember who I was? Don't you remember how I talked, how every other word was a cuss word? Don't you remember how I dressed where all my blouses were down to my navel? Don't you remember how I acted? How I went from man to man, from guy to guy? 
from girl to girl looking for something. Don't you remember how I used to drink and how I used to just mess up everything? Don't you remember how I could never hold down a job and I went from job to job? To, don't you remember? Look at me now. Look at me now. You have a testimony. And that testimony brought people in. And then people started talking about it and other people started coming in. And this woman went back to talk to the people that she knew while the disciples were out there buying bread. When they were buying bread, she was testifying. And I'm sure, and I, I have to imagine this, because see, you got to remember that the woman was with Jesus. The disciples were coming from town. They had to have passed her on the way. They had to have seen her. She's going back into town to go testify, and they're coming from town with their food. They seen her, but it didn't mean anything to them. Here was a lost soul, but all they cared about was, man, they were going to eat. That was the most important thing. They're gathering around the well talking about food. It's a whole lot of men that are gathering around the well talking about insignificant things while people are dying. And while they're standing there talking about food, they're talking to Jesus and they're saying, you need to eat. And he goes, I already ate. Well, who brought you food? We didn't bring you food. You have to be hungry. And they're talking about food. Meanwhile, this woman is in town evangelizing. And while they're coming back, this woman with all these men following her, interested to know who is this that told her everything, Jesus turns and he looks at his disciples and he says, the fields are white and ready for harvest. He wasn't looking at the fields. He was looking at the men who were behind this woman at the well. He was looking at the men who were coming, seeking for something. They were the fields. Those people, those men were the fields that were white and ready for harvest. Not the fields of wheat, but the men of Sychar, the Samaritans, they were the ones. And that's why the disciples were a little confused, like, what, what are you talking about? We're, we're talking about food, and you're, you're talking about fields and white ready for harvest. Man, we're, we're definitely not on the same page here. And Jesus is saying, get your mind off of the temporary. Put it on where it belongs. There are men and women who are dying because they do not know the gospel. That's why Jesus said, don't say there's four months and then the harvest is coming. Open your eyes. The harvest is walking over here. The harvest is coming. And that's what's going to happen this coming weekend. The harvest is going to come. The harvest is going to be brought over here. There's going to be men and women and teenagers and young people and young kids who are going to be part of the harvest. But what are you going to be doing? Are you going to be able to say, well, you know what? I, my favorite show's on Saturday. I don't know. Got to watch TV. I don't know. I don't know if I can make it over there. The whole day? 
the whole day? Then, then they want me to, to sacrifice and give some of my time? Jesus says, get your eyes off your stuff. Wash now. Don't wait till Saturday morning. Wash today. No, don't wash today. Don't wash on Sundays. In my house, nobody washes on Sundays. That's God's day. Wash tomorrow. Wash Tuesday. You have five more days to wash. Don't plan all your work day. Clean your house tomorrow. Clean your house. Wash. Do everything you need to do. Do it all during the week so that this coming Saturday and Sunday, you'll see the harvest. You'll see the harvest. This woman at the well saw something that Jesus saw. The disciples were like, duh. Sometimes we have people that are coming to church and they're like, duh. What, shaking the bait already? Oh man, it just crept up on me. It happened so fast. And for some people it has happened fast. Because you haven't been planting. So now that the harvest is ready to come, you're like, whoa, that was fast. Man, didn't we just, didn't I just give a flyer out? We're just barely going to give out flyers today? No, we've been giving out flyers. We've been planting the harvest. Sometimes we can miss the harvest because we're not looking for it. We're not prepared for it. Sometimes we're just looking at our bread. We need to take our eyes off of our bread. This woman who was broken, this woman who was lost, this woman who had nothing, she was empty on the inside. She saw the harvest. She says, I know where it's at. It's back in my hometown. I know where it's at. It's with all those men that I was in the bar with. I know where the harvest is. And she went back to get them. She saw the harvest, and the disciples missed it. And in life, I will tell you this, we go after what we see. If bread is what you see, then that's what you're going to go after. If money is what you see, that's what you're going to go after. If your job or education is what you see, then that's what you're going to go after. And if climbing the ladder at your job is what you see, then that's what you're going to go after. But if you see the harvest of men and women ready to come to Jesus, then that is what you're going to go after because it's a rule of life. What you see is what you pursue. What you see is what you pursue. If you don't see it, you don't pursue it. The disciples didn't see the harvest, so they didn't even bother going after it. But the woman saw the harvest. She saw it and she went after it. And that's why the message for today is it's real simple. So simple. The fields are white and they're ready for harvest. Our greatest problem is, is that we really don't believe what Jesus said is true. Because when we look around, we really don't see any white fields ready for harvest. We, we see what we don't have. Oh, I don't have, I don't have a car. Uh, I don't have my house. I don't have this. I don't have that. And we're seeing all the things that we don't have. We see fields that are full of weeds. We see men being cruel to other men. We see hatred. We see broken vows. We see selfishness. We see everything is hopeless around us. And then we say, it's too hard to witness to people. They don't want it. 
We reach out to our neighbors and they're like, you know what, keep it to yourself. We speak up at work and we get in trouble for it. We try to share the gospel with our loved ones and they don't want any part of it. We invite our friends to church and they're not interested. So we begin to think, well, there's no white fields around me. There's nobody around me. And that's why we don't feel the urgency. That's why we don't feel that we need to go out and share. We don't understand that the fields are as white today as they have ever been. That the harvest is coming in all around us. And we are just blind to it. We're focused on our bread. And we got to lift up our eyes. I know that the world's not rushing to find the Lord. They're not rushing to it. We live in a morally bankrupt generation. You know, um, Elton Trueblood, he was a, a Quaker philosopher. He said that there was, in, in 1946, he said this, there's going to come a generation that is going to be like a cut flower. And we, you know, I, I didn't really quite understand that until I started reading more about it. And he said that, and, and I really believe that this, this is the generation that he was talking of. We are the cut flowers. Because it's like when you buy a flower or you, you get a rose and you go out to your garden and you cut the rose, the minute you cut that rose off the vine, it begins to die. You see it and it looks beautiful but it's dying. And that's how people are. People are portraying themselves that they've got it all together. They're portraying themselves that they've got this and they've got that. And when I read my word, they're the cut flower. They're dying. And they need hope. And that's what we need to do. We need to be able to understand that we have life. That they're cut, but we have life. We have it, and we need to give it to them. Amen. We cannot underestimate the power of a touch or a smile or a kind word or a prayer because we all have the potential to turn the life around. People come into our life for a reason, for a season, yeah. or for a lifetime. Yeah. Each and every one of you, when you walked in today, were given a card. Take out your card, please. And as you have your card, I want you to think of one person that you know needs God, that you're going to invite to come to Shaking the Bay. One person. If you don't have a card, go ahead and raise your hand. We'll give you a card. Just write the name of one person. I know you may know more than one, but just one. Just one person that you know needs God. And you're going to invite to shake in the bay. If you don't have a pen, look around you. Somebody has a pen you can borrow. You all have it? 
see it with your name, I want you to stand with this card. With that person's name on it. And I want you to put your hand over that name or we're going to pray right now. This is your altar call. That you are going to pray for this person. Nobody has to know who they are. It's just you. But you're going to pray for this person throughout the week. And then at the right time, you're going to invite them to come so that they can hear the gospel. So that they can see you. So that you will be able to look up and see that the fields are white and ready for harvest. Let's pray. Lord, you know and you see the name of every person on this card. We need to look up. We need to see that the fields are white. They're ready for harvest. Some of us have just gotten lazy. We've just taken things for granted. We've even taken the gospel. Some of us have even taken our salvation for granted. We've just gotten lazy. We haven't shared the power of your transforming power with anybody. But this week, Lord, we're committing that we're going to pray and invite. Pray and invite. We're going to plant the seed and wait for the harvest. Lord, we're all making the altar call today because every single one of us knows at least one person who needs to be restored, who needs to have the joy of their salvation put into their life. Help us to remember this person every day this week that we would not only pray, but that we might even be compelled to fast, that they would come to know you as their personal Savior. Make next Saturday and Sunday a harvest time for souls, a harvest time for the lost, a harvest time for women like the Samaritan woman, a harvest time, Lord, for people who need to be reminded that you came to seek and to save those that were lost. Lord, we commit ourselves to pray. In Jesus' name, we all say, amen. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand.